Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Please open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. We're not going to read the passage quite yet. It's actually going to take us a little while to get to, to the passage but let's, let's pray. Let's ask for God's guidance in this message today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word, your word is truth. Thank you that you have saved us by the knowledge of the truth. And you, have, you are sanctifying us by the truth, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And we pray that As we look at many different uh, passages in in your word today, that you would lead us, that you would be the one teaching us, that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, would teach us all things about your Son, Jesus, about salvation. I pray that you give me the, the right words to preach today, Lord, that I would, um, that I would be filled with your spirit, Lord, that all of us would be filled with your spirit to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we we have been talking about the different roles within the church. One of the passages that uh, we read multiple times was 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16 where uh, Paul gives Timothy instructions and he basically tells him the statement, the mission statement or the purpose statement of his letter, where he basically says, I am writing this letter to you so that you know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, right? So, you know, we talked about how the church is the household of God and how in every household, there are different roles. There's a dad, there's a mom, there's a, you know, children in the Greco-Roman household, there, was, there were also widows, there were also slaves, there were other people as well. Um, but, you know, we talked about this idea of the church being a household. And last week, we talked about the role of the, not last week, well, two weeks ago, we talked about the role of the elders. And then last week, we talked about the role of the deacons. So if you haven't listened to those, I strongly encourage you to go online to our website, which is kaleo.community, not .com, but .community. Don't ask me how that works. I don't understand the internet. Uh, or you can listen on our podcast, which is uh, Kaleo Life. So if you just type on your, on your phone podcast service, Kaleo Life, it should show up right there. Uh, but I do encourage you to listen to those two. Uh, but today we're going to focus on the role of the church. Now, to be clear, the elders and the deacons are a part of the church, right? So it's not, like, it's not like the elders are this special class of Christians and then the deacons are this other different class and then there's the, the masses, right? There is the church. No, no, no. We are all a part of the church. The elders are a part of the church. The deacons are a part of the church. Simply, the elders have been given, as we saw in Acts uh, uh, 20, when Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, the elders have been given or have been entrusted by the Holy Spirit. They have been entrusted to shepherd the flock of God. And 
the deacons, as we saw last week, they have been entrusted to facilitate the ministry. So one helpful um, kind of, I don't know if you could call this a syllogism or, or something else, but one faithful idea that I read when I was preparing is that the elders lead the ministry of the church, the deacons facilitate the ministry, and then the church does the ministry. So the elders lead the ministry, the deacons facilitate the ministry, and the church does the ministry. But again, the elders and the deacons are also a part of the church. So basically everything that we're going to learn today about the church, about the role of the church, pertains to all of us who are members of the church, deacons, elders, everyone. Now, when we talked about the elders, I mentioned that there was plenty of information out there regarding, uh, you know, the qualifications for the elders, things that the elders should do, etc. Then when I talked about the deacons, I mentioned that there's almost no information out there, or there is very limited information about the deacons, so we have to go with the little information that we have. Well, when we, when we talk about the church, the role of the church, as you, as you may expect, there is tons of information in the Bible about the role of the church. The New Testament is loaded with, uh, uh, with teaching about the church. In fact, you could say the whole New Testament is about the church or, is, or it you know, pertains to the church. So I was thinking, how do I preach this sermon without you know, just taking from all over the place and going all over the place. Um, and so I, I, two things were helpful for me. One of them was uh, Jordan was actually going to preach this sermon and then he ended up not being able to. And I'm happy to do that. He, he just had a, a, really busy, um, a really busy schedule. And so um, in a timely manner, this was not last minute, in a, in a timely manner, he, he asked me if I could do it. So I, I'm happy to do it. But I, I did like the work that he had already done. And so I saw that he had somewhat of an outline and I adapted it a little bit. But basically, this outline is the responsibilities of the church toward God, the responsibilities of the church toward one another, and the responsibility of the church toward outsiders or toward the world, right? So we have a three... Uh, three-part outline. But then another thing that I do to kind of limit the topic a little bit more uh, is we need, we need a, a main thread that goes throughout the whole sermon that kind of ties it all together. And so I was thinking about 1 Timothy 3.15 again, about the church being the household of God. And I was thinking that it says there that, you know, uh, it, Paul tells Timothy how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. And then he adds a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul says that the church is a pillar and buttress or, or foundation or, or, you know, a, a buttress is kind of like this firm foundation on which something rests. And so the, the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. And I decided to kind of go with that. Yeah, I decided to do a, a word study on, on the term truth um, and just kind of see how the idea of the church being the pillar and buttress of the truth goes through the whole Testament. And so uh, hopefully I'm explaining myself, but basically we're going to do this three-part outline thing where it, we talk about our responsibilities in, uh, 
as, as they pertain to our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with the world, but limiting ourselves to, mostly limiting ourselves to the topic of the truth. What is the truth? What is this idea of the church being the pillar and buttress of the truth? Now, to be clear or to, you know, to make it very, very obvious right away, the truth, when we see it in the gospel, when we see it in the, in the, in the New Testament, in the word of God, the truth is the gospel. It's the message about Jesus Christ being, well, about Jesus being the Christ, about be, him being the savior of the world, about him dying and, and uh, raising from the dead. So even though two plus two equals four is, is true, no one can be saved by believing that two plus two equals four, right? Like that's not going to save you. Truth alone is not necessarily going to save you. The truth that is, that, that is salvific, the truth that Paul and most of the New Testament writers are talking about is the truth of the gospel. That is the truth that is salvific. Now, by if we believe in, in the gospel, which is truth, if we believe in God, who is the author of truth, then of course we are going to be all about everything that is truthful, right? If the word of God says that love uh, delights in the truth. So even though we are focusing on the gospel right now, I think that a clear uh, uh, outcome of believing in the truth of the gospel is that we are going to be truthful people. And therefore we are going to affirm that two plus two is four and that men are men and women are women. And you know, all the things that this world is lying about, we're going to be truthful about those things. But the main focus of the New Testament when it talks about truth is the truth of the gospel. In fact, uh, Paul gives us that, uh, gives us a very brief summary of the truth in 1 Timothy 3.16. So he tells him, you know, the church is the household of God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. And then this is what he says in, in verse 16. He says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. And he summarizes it. He says, he was manifested in the flesh. He, Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed believed on in the world, taking, taken up in glory. So Paul is saying the church has been entrusted with the truth of the gospel. The church has been entrusted with the mystery of the gospel that has now been revealed to us. And so in a sense, we could say that the church is the bastion of truth. We have, God has given the truth to us for us to protect it, for us to treasure it, for us to proclaim it, for us to keep it. Um, and that's basically the, again, that's the main thread that, that is going to be uh, weaved throughout this entire um, sermon. So what is the role of the church in relationship to God? That's, that's the first point. What is the role of the church in relationship to God? And this one, uh, I want to go in line with what God does. I want to go in line with what the, the Bible does, which is, before going on and telling us all the things that we have to do, all the, all the commands, all the imperatives, I want us to focus first on what God has done for us. This is what God does all the time. In Exodus 20, when he gives the 10 commandments to the people of Israel, when he gives the 10 commandments to Moses, 
he doesn't just start off the bat and says, all right, I want you to do this and this and this, and I don't want you to do this and this and this. He first reminds them who he is and what he has done for them. In Exodus 20, um, I did not write down the verse, but I think it's verse one. He says, God says to Moses, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then after telling them who he is, after telling them what he has done for them, then he gives them the 10 commandments. And this is, this is, this is the gospel, right? If, if we only have commands, if we only have things to do, but we don't have a reason for why, or, or, or we have not even been uh, uh, empowered to do it, then it just becomes mere legalism, right? Just do this and do this and do that. But no, God is saying, I am the Lord your God. I delivered you, I saved you. And therefore, these are the commands that I have for you. So I want us to follow that, that line here. And I want to first talk about what God has done for us, especially in relationship to the truth, the truth of the gospel. So first of all, we know that God is the author of truth and God is truth himself, right? And, and in John 1, uh, verse 14, and I'm going to be, you know, jumping a lot. Some of these references I have already here. Some of them we're, we're going to turn to. But in John 1, 14 through uh, 18, John says about Jesus, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. And cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So in Jesus, God who is truth became Flesh. The truth came down. Many people in the Gospels acknowledge that Jesus is the truth. Jesus himself says about himself in John, um, in John 14, he says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus himself claims to be the truth. In, in another instance, in John 8, when he was talking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees were getting really angry at Jesus. And Jesus says, you are angry at me, but basically I am speaking the truth. I am telling you the things that I heard from my father. So in Jesus's ministry, everything that Jesus was saying, everything that Jesus was preaching was the truth that he had received from the father. And, and, and he tells the Pharisees, the reason why you hate me is because you belong to your father, the devil, and the devil is the father of lies. So again, you know, we have that comparison between the truth and, and lies. Um, now, God has graciously revealed the truth to us. He has graciously revealed the message of salvation. We, we did not figure out the message of salvation. We did not figure out the what Paul often calls the mystery of, of salvation or the mystery of the gospel because we're super smart or because we have this, you know, uh, uh, 
secret knowledge or whatever. It, the, the message of the gospel has been revealed to us simply by God's grace. The message of the gospel has been revealed to us because of his great love. And so I want you to turn with, or you should already be there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Um, now this passage, this is an interesting passage. This is a, a, a passage that has puzzled many people Uh, throughout church history, but I, I think that we find at the end of this passage, we find a very clear uh, um, declaration about the truth. So Paul is talking to the Thess Thessalonians. He is talking to them about the coming of the man of lawlessness, which uh, it's kind of is debated who this man of lawlessness is. Some people say, oh, this is Antichrist or this is the beast or You know, there are a bunch of uh, different uh, opinions in this. And so I'm not going to focus on that part because that part is, is, you know, the more complicated, but I do want to focus on the end of it. But this is what Jesus said. Uh, sorry, this is what Paul says in verse 8, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused, and notice this, they refused to love the truth and so be saved. So the reason why those who are perishing are perishing is because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, verse 11, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that, they so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is really hefty. This is basically saying these people rejected the truth of the gospel so much. These people rejected the, the truth about who God is so much that they got to the point where it was God himself who's, who, who sent this strong delusion so that they would be condemned. This is a really strong passage. But then look at what happens in verse 13. Look at what God has done for us. Verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God in his infinite mercy, he chose us. God in, in his infinite mercy, um, it, it says, beloved by the Lord, he chose us as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So again, the truth is not something that we, because we are so smart and clever, we came up with or, or we understood out of our, you know, our, our, our ingenuity, but it was by the grace of God that he chose us and he revealed the truth of the gospel to us so that we could obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus. That is what God has done for us. The church is a group of people that have received the truth 
from God, that have received salvation from God and have believed in the truth. So in light of that, in light of what God has done for us, what are we supposed to do as the church, as the household of God, as the pillar and buttress of the truth? Well, one of the implications, and, and a lot of these implications are going to be very, are going to be more, more practical. We're getting to more practical ground here. But first of all, one of the implications is right there. We praise God and we give him thanks, right? Here, Paul and his, and his uh, co-workers are, are thanking God for the salvation of the Thessalonians. And so in the same way, we can praise God and we can thank him for having chosen us, for having revealed the truth to us. That is the gospel. We were not deserving of salvation. We were not deserving of, of anything but wrath, anything but condemnation and punishment because we at some point rejected the truth as well. But God in his infinite mercy revealed his truth to us, the truth of the gospel so that we could be saved. And therefore, our first response should be praising him, thanking him, living a life for his glory. Now, another responsibility that we have as a church is living a life of holiness and being sanctified. We are sanctified by the word of God. The word of God is the truth. In uh, John, so if you turn with me to John chapter 17, this is what Jesus tells his disciples, or this is what Jesus prays for his disciples. In John 17, verse 17, he is praying for his disciples and he asks the father about them. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is praying that God would make his disciples holy in the truth. And what is the truth? Well, the truth is the word of God. This is how we are sanctified. Now, when it comes to sanctification, um, one thing that, that we need to acknowledge is that God is sanctifying us by his grace, by his love, by his power, by his word. But at the same time, God calls us to sanctify ourselves. God calls us to be sanctified. So this one is kind of in the middle of something that God, well, yeah, maybe not in the middle, but God is doing this for us. But at the same time, God is calling us to be sanctified. And we are sanctified in the truth. In Hebrews 10, verse 26, it says that if we go on sinning after having the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. In other words, this is saying, you know the truth. You, the truth has already been revealed to you by the grace of God. But if you go on deliberately, this is the word that, that, that he uses. If you go on deliberately sinning after having the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. So those of us that know the truth, we need to make sure that we do not go on deliberately sinning, right? Because we already, we already know it. There's no excuse for us. We already know that our sin put Jesus on the cross. We already know that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us for our 
sins. And so if we go on in our sin, deliberately over and over falling into the same sin, we are basically stumping on the truth of the gospel. We are, we are uh, basically rejecting the, 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 the knowledge of the truth, the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Peter um, encourages his readers in chapter 1, 20, verse 22, to purify your souls by the obedience of the truth. So notice how the truth of the gospel is not only the thing that saves us, the knowledge of the truth of the gospel, but it's also the thing that sanctifies us. It's the thing that purifies us. So do you want to, um, do you want to become more holy? Do you want to be sanctified? Do you want to grow in your Christian walk? Well, dig deeper into the truth of the gospel. Spend more time in the truth of the gospel. Instead of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with a bunch of different rules and methods and techniques to, you know, to avoid sin or to be holier or to be more like God, spend more time in his word. Jesus prayed for his disciples. Again, he prayed, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We need to be immersed in the word of the gospel, in the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for us, that the Father loves us because of the work of Jesus. There is nothing more motivating to abandon your sin than to know that the Father loved you enough that he gave his son Jesus to die for you. That is what is really going to motivate you to abandon, to, to put your sin to death, to be sanctified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you can turn there if you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is calling the believers to abandon their sin, to, to get rid of their sin and to celebrate communion, to celebrate the death of Jesus. And so in, in chapter 5, verse 8, he says to them, well, actually starting in verse 7, he says, Clean, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And when he talks about leaven, he's talking about sin. As you really are unleavened <clears throat> for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So every time we, <clears throat> every time we celebrate communion, every time we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we need to do it without sin. We need to get rid of our sin. We need to ask forgiveness for our sin, confess it to God and walk in the truth, in the truth of the gospel. Another responsibility that we have as, as a church is we defend the word of God and we reject and resist false doctrine, false teaching. 
this was a very, very important concern for Paul and for the other New Testament writers. It was a very, and obviously for God. God is really concerned. He really cares that we reject false doctrine. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul exhorts Timothy to rightly handle the word of truth. The word of God, the word of truth is so important that Timothy, who was a preacher, who was a teacher, he had to be very, very careful to rightly handle the word of God. And that's what we want to do here at Kaleo. We want to make sure that we are not using the word to say whatever we want to say. Rather, we want the word of God to dictate what we say. This is why we, we take some stands that are, you know, are unpopular to our culture today, to the world today, because our goal is not to please the world. Our goal is to please God. And our goal is to follow what he has said in his word. We don't want to tamper with the word. We don't want to change it to make it more appealing to others. We don't want to soften it so that it's not offensive. We want to rightly handle the word of truth. We resist false teaching and legalism to preserve the truth of the gospel. In Galatians 2 verses 1 through 5, Paul tells us of when he went to see the, um, the apostles in Jerusalem after having received the gospel himself. And this is what he says in Galatians 2 verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set, and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I was not running out of, sorry, running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. What is the point here? When we give into legalism, so you know, just kind of to give you an idea of what was going on. Titus, he was a Greek. And so there were some Jewish believers and they wanted Titus to be circumcised, right? Because, you know, they still wanted Christians to follow the law. And Paul, it, you know, even it's interesting that it says that they were spying on them. So I, I don't know if they were watching them while they were to the bathroom. I don't know, but they were spying on them and they wanted Titus to be circumcised. And Paul said, no, no way. We are not circumcising Titus. Why? Because we did not yield to them in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. In other words, they did not yield to legalism. They did not yield to rules and, and all that stuff because they didn't want the gospel to be tampered with. They wanted to make it very, very clear that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not through circumcision or through following the law or any of that. And because we care about the truth, because we care about the gospel, we want to reject false teaching. We want to reject legalism. We want to reject anything that would diminish 
or bring uh, um, bring. Uh, I'm I'm thinking of a passage. I I did not write it down, but I think it First Peter or Second Peter. I cannot remember. Uh, talks about how the the people that are following the false teaching they are bringing shame or disgrace. I cannot remember the word that he uses, but they're bringing disgrace to the gospel of truth. When we believe something false, something that is not in accordance with Scripture, we are bringing disgrace and we are diminishing the word of truth. Another one of the issues that they had going on in uh, in Ephesus when Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy is that. Uh, Some people, also legalists, they were prohibiting a bunch of things. They were prohibiting marriage. They were prohibiting people from eating certain things. And Paul tells them, and let me see if I can find it. I don't have a reference here either, but let me see if I can find it. Um, I think it's 1 Timothy at the end. Yeah, well, I'm not finding it. The The point is, you know, these people are forbidding Things and, and Paul says, oppose these things because God created all things to be enjoyed. God created all things to be enjoyed and to be, and to be taken with, uh, with, with thanksgiving. All right, so that, was, that, that is our responsibility towards God, right? That's what God has done for us. He has revealed the truth of the gospel to us and therefore our responsibility is to praise him for having revealed the truth to us. Our responsibility is to work in our own sanctification, to become holier and holier, and uh, to defend the word and to resist false doctrine. Now, let's talk about our responsibilities towards one another. In Ephesians 4.25, Paul encourages the believers to speak, to one an- to speak the truth to one another. In love. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are to speak the truth in love to one another, because we are no longer. Uh, because we are no longer unbelievers, because we are no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, because we no longer belong to the darkness, but we belong to the kingdom of God, we are called to speak the truth to one another in love. And I believe that this means both that we speak the gospel to one another, right? That we are always reminding each other of the gospel, that we are shepherding one another with the truth of the gospel. But it also means that we speak truthfully, to one another, that we don't lie to each other, that we don't speak falsely or we don't, we don't um, um, bear false witness against our brothers and sisters. We are always speaking the truth. Now, we speak the truth in love, right? It doesn't mean that we're, we just say everything without any filter or without any, any uh, uh, concern for, for the Uh, for the edification of our brothers and sisters, but we do speak the truth to our brothers and sisters. In James 5, 19, we are encouraged to bring back those who wander from the truth. Now, this is something that we don't think about very often, right? Oftentimes, at least sometimes, I have the temptation of knowing that someone left or someone is, is going somewhere else, and sometimes I just have the temptation of saying, well, you know what? They chose that. 
let them do whatever they want. But here, James is encouraging the church to bring back, to rescue those who have wandered from the truth. So it might be good to, you know, think about people that, you know, maybe are no longer coming to church or people who have rejected sound teaching, people who, are, uh, who have accepted false teaching or legalism or all that stuff and give them a call. Pray for them. Meet up with them and try to bring them back to the truth of the gospel. Another one of the, another one of the responsibilities that we have is we love the church. If you are in the truth, you will love the church. One, you know, one analogy I like to use, uh, I am at, multiple times when I'm talking to unbelievers and sometimes believers, but um, it's very common for people to say, you know what? I love Jesus. I, I, I believe in Jesus. I think he's great. I just don't like the church. And you probably already know my response. I always say, well, imagine that I tell you, hey, you know, I really like you. You're a really nice guy, but I really don't like your wife. Can you please come, up, come to my house? But please don't bring your wife because I just don't like her. I cannot stand her. I mean, that's pretty much what, what people are doing when they say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. The church is the bride of Christ. If you love Jesus, if you love the truth, you will love the church. Notice what uh, John tells his audience in 2 John. 2 John verse 1, he says, The elder to the elect lady, who is the church, and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. So those who know the truth will love the church. Those who know the truth will love the truth and, sorry, the church and her children. If you really believe in the gospel, if you have been uh, uh, entrusted with the gospel, you will love the church because you know that the church is the bride of Christ because you know that the church is your family. Uh, if you read a little bit ahead in verse 4 of 2 John, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So another thing that we do towards one another is we rejoice when our brothers and sisters are walking in the truth. We encourage them. We praise God that they are walking in the truth. If you go to the next book, 3 John, uh, here is a very, very specific encouragement. Here's a very specific instruction, instruction of our responsibility towards one another. We support the believers who go out for the sake of the name that we may be fellow workers for the truth. In other words, we support missionaries. We support preachers. We support the people that have devoted themselves to preaching the gospel so that we become partners with them in the truth. Notice uh, 3 John verses 5 through 8. In 3 John, John is writing to Gaius, and this is what he says to him. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, 
For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. One of the main ways that we can proclaim the truth, one of the main ways that the truth can continue to advance is when we support the preachers of the truth. That's why we are committed to supporting the Cedarlands in Mexico who are preaching the truth. That's why we are committed to supporting the Sanchez's in, in northern Mexico as well because they are preaching the truth. That's why we are committed to supporting Veritas Academy, which, by the way, Veritas, if you know a little bit of Latin, means truth. So that's why we are uh, in, uh, committed to supporting Veritas because they are preaching the truth. And that's why we should be committed to supporting those who have gone out to proclaim the name of Jesus. And in that way, we can partner in the truth. All right, and lastly, let's talk about our responsibility toward the world or toward outsiders. First of all, I think we need to remember that the world hates the truth. If you remember in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians is kind of a, 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 or at least that section is a little bit of a summary of a, a, a greater treatment on this topic in Romans 1. But notice again what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, The coming of the lawless one, verse 9, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now, if you want a greater treatment of this, just go and read Romans chapter 1. But basically, the world has rejected the truth. The world hates the truth of the gospel. In Romans 1, it says that because they rejected the truth, they worship the creature rather than the creator. When we were studying the book of Revelation, that was one of the main points of Revelation, that people, instead of worshiping God as they should, were worshiping the beast. We're worshiping something completely different. God is the only one that we should worship. And the, word, the world hates the truth. The world hates God. And we read also that people experience God's judgment and condemnation because they reject the truth of the gospel. So what should be our role towards people that hate the truth of the gospel? we fight against them? Should we engage in the culture wars and, and try to win an argument? Well, no. God says uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, this is what God encourages us to do for them. Or not encourages, but what God wants us to do for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. 
we are supposed to call, uh, sorry, we are supposed to pray for our, uh, for, for the people who are in authority. Verse three says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, of God, our savior. And notice here, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. God wants us to pray for people because God wants all people to be saved because God wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we, the church, we have been entrusted with the truth. We are the bastion of truth. We are the pillar and buttress of the truth. And therefore, if we are the pillar and buttress of the truth, and there is a world out there that hates the truth, but that God wants to be saved, then we should be praying for them and we should be going out to them and we should be proclaiming the truth of the gospel to them. Our role as a church, as the pillar and buttress of the truth, is not simply to hunker down and protect the truth and, do not, and, and not let anyone else come in because we're protecting it. I mean, there is a part of that. There is a huge part of that in which we protect the truth by, you know, by rejecting false doctrine, by rejecting the lies of the enemy, by worshiping God, by believing in the truth. But part of being a bastion and a pillar and buttress of truth means that the word of the gospel comes out to the world because God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we have the truth. We cannot just keep the truth to ourselves. We have the truth and we have to proclaim the truth to the world. We have to teach the truth to our children. Are you discipling your children? Are you teaching them the truth? If you are not discipling your children, if you're not teaching them the truth, the world will teach them the lies of the enemy. And therefore, if you are a parent, it is your responsibility to teach the truth of the gospel to your children. It is our responsibility as a church to proclaim the truth of the gospel to a world that is lost in darkness. Why? Because God has revealed his truth to us in his mercy, in his love. And he has entrusted us with the truth of the gospel. So as we get ready to celebrate communion, I want to go back to 1 uh, Corinthians. Chapter 5. And as we prepare to celebrate the feast, we celebrate the feast of Passover every week. Not every year, but we celebrate it every week when we take communion. We remember the Lamb of God that takes away the sin from the world. We remember the Lord Jesus. Listen to these words from Paul. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, 
the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us celebrate the feast with the leaven of sincerity and truth. Let us confess our sins to God. Let us take some time right now to confess our sins to God, to ask for his forgiveness. Confess to him how you have, uh, how we have sometimes not walked truthfully, not lived truthfully, not spoken truthfully. And thank him for having revealed his truth to you. And prepare yourself to celebrate the feast, the, the festival of Jesus, our Passover lamb.